0: The greatest threat to a building program is discouragement. You go, oh, really? I'm kind of discouraged that you mentioned discouragement. See, it's it's the hidden enemy. It's the thing we don't want to talk about that we're discouraged. Listen to me. Discouragement looks back and wishes it had done something. But the same discouragement looks forward and says there's nothing we can do about it. It is the chief tool the devil uses to shift the church and the body into neutral. To just do nothing. We're discouraged. It saps our strength. It it just simply takes everything out of us. Now, to some degree, everything that I listed last week can contribute to it. But the end product is not any of those things I listed last week per se, but the biggest problem is discouragement. Everything funnels to that, and once you get to that, that's where things just go south. Things stop, and we tend to not get anything done. And so I want to read here, beginning in Nehemiah 4, verse 7 and then read to the end of the chapter, and then make some comments about discouragement. And I pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Verse 7, chapter 4, Nehemiah. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, And that the breaches began to be stopped. Then they were very wroth. Here's the the Trinitarian group of problems that Nehemiah had to deal with. Uh, Sanballat, the Ammonite, descendants of Lot. Well, that's not a big deal, brother Owens, descendants of Lot. Well, they descended from an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughters. Enough said? Their god was Moloch. Moloch was a huge metal god, kind of like a Buddha, who had this big lap, and under it was a furnace. And they would heat that thing till it was white hot and then take live babies and put it on the seat of that god. That's this crowd the Horonites, Samaria, the Arabs, descendants of Ishmael. Enough said, enough said. Verse 8, and they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. We're talking about the rebuilding of the wall. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of the burden is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst of them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dealt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all the places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore, said I in the lower places behind the wall, And on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember, the Lord which is great and terrible. Have you ever thought about the Lord being terrible? Well, he is to his enemies. He is terrible. He is a terror. And fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsels to naught, that we return all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. Now remember that verse. We want to come back to it in a moment. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought the work, and the other half of them held both the spear, the shield, and the bow. And the Haberjons, that's a coat of mail, that's a bulletproof vest, if you want to put it in modern-day parlance. And the rulers were behind all of the house of Judah. They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens, and those that laded, that means loaded, carried the materials. Everyone with one of his hands wrought the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. The word weapon is where we get the word missile. I just thought I'd add that to it, just a little side note there, a little Hebrew, a little Hebrew. It's where we get the modern-day word spear, but it means a missile. They had missiles back then. They were hand-thrown, but they had missiles. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and rebuilded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall. One far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us. Don't you love King James? Thither. Come thither. Our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the word, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Normally they quit work at five o'clock. They worked until the stars appeared. They worked until it was dark. Likewise, at the same time, I said unto the people, let everyone, that, everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor, uh, nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us, put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. Probably a good idea. I just was thinking that's probably a a good idea. Nehemiah here deals with problems. If you go back and read, you'll find out that in these short 22 verses, he has to answer to seven different challenges that are before him. Verse 9, 13, 14, 16, 19, 20, and 27. And Nehemiah knew that if these challenges were not met, the end result would be discouragement and the end result would be the work would stop and the result of that would be the wall would not be finished. And so he dealt with discouragement. This message today is preventive maintenance. I may not be here very much longer. You're going to call a pastor one of these days. This is a two-year project. But I'm going to tell you, One of the things that's going to happen to some of us is we're going to get discouraged along the way. Go back and get a copy of this message. And remember, Brother Glenn told you months ago that discouragement would come, but there's an answer to the discouragement. Nehemiah deals with it, and this morning, by God's grace, we will deal with it. What did Nehemiah do to stop the discouragement from engulfing the work? Number one, he armed the people. Verses 13 and verse 18. Nehemiah was not a pie in the sky by and by. Nehemiah didn't put his head in the clouds and say, oh me, you know, we're doing God's work. God's going to take care of us. No, he was a realist. Nehemiah knew something. What did he know? There is evil in the world. A wise leader knows that. And a wise leader doesn't just blame God for everything that happens, but he takes upon himself his responsibilities to see that what needs to be done is going to be done. So he armed the people. Do you hear me? He armed them. They're doing the work, but they're armed. They got a missile, (laughs) they're ready. Now, he did it for two reasons. Number one, so that the work would continue. That was the end result of what he was trying to do. But the other thing was this. The people were hearing about all of this. They were hearing all the threats. They were hearing a bunch of people said, we're going to come down there and take you folks out. We're going to stop this. So there was something about them being armed, something about them being prepared that encouraged them. I'm sure some of them said, you know, if, just bring it on. Come on. If you want to start something, we're ready for you. We fight for our God. This is not our wall, it's his wall. And so if you want to come down here, we're waiting for you. We're ready for you. That ought to encourage the people rather than being a bunch of whip pups hiding under the bed. God's people have no reason to be afraid. When we're doing God's work, God's way, and God's time, God's going to provide God's resources. It happened then. And you watch, it's going to happen right here. Well, you were a little late on that. Now, I'm going to give you a chance later on to catch up. You have to pay attention to these things. He armed the people. And in doing that, he helped the people realize that he was a wise leader. And a wise leader is a leader who assesses the fact of what the situation is, and he's ready, willing, and able to answer it. Notice he puts the, the people, he reinforces the people in the lower places. What in the world is the lower places? Well, if you remember, the wall hadn't been rebuilt. It's in parts. This part's here, this part's here, this part's here. It, it's being built, but it's not finished. So Nehemiah knew they don't have tanks back then. They don't have artillery. It's basically a troop operation. So if somebody's going to come get you, they're going to go where? Through the low part of the wall. Again, this is common sense. But Nehemiah realized, I've got to reinforce the low places. I've got to be sure the low places So he sent additional personnel there. But he also sent personnel to the high places. Why did he do that? Well, the high places give you a panoramic view of what's taking place that way the guys can't slip up on you like they might do if you were not in the high places he's a wise leader I'm going to tell you later on we'll learn before we finish this study he was much a man too I mean Nehemiah had a temper brother I thought Christians were just so just kind of you know no where do you get that in scripture Nehemiah later on, he clouds up and rains on some of the people, and I'll tell you more about that later. I'll touch on it in just a moment. But he was very much a man, very much a leader, very much in charge, and very much God's man for the mission that was before him. A leader must know where he's going, and a leader must know what the obstacles are in going, and a leader must be sensitive to those that he's leading. A wise leader knows his people, he knows their physical, their emotional, and their spiritual needs. And he helps them by helping them not to get discouraged in the midst of the work. So, number one, he armed the people. Number two, he assured the people. That's verse 14. When a leader speaks with confidence and reminds them of God's guidance and God's blessing in the past, God's people are confident. Not confident in us, but we're reminded of the goodness of God. Time and time again in this book, you'll hear Nehemiah talk about the good hand of God which had been upon him. Nehemiah's not patting himself on the back. He's saying the hand that supplied his needs, his wants, his desires, and gave him instruction was God's hand. God had directed. And that's what we're wanting in this this challenge that's before us in our continuing our legacy is for the good hand of God through God's people to be good upon us. Listen, folks, you know, Les has done a good job of breaking this down. We've we've got approval on building one. Building two is about ready. We're talking about it. And, And we're kind of putting the money together from several different things. But, folks, listen to me. We're not relocating a building. We're relocating a church. So any amount of money that's given, whether it goes to that second building or it goes toward the third building, or helps with the first building. We have a project of relocating the whole cotton-picking church. And so we need all hands on deck. And so as we get the various parts and the various pieces together, we're doing this so that we can save in what we're going to have to borrow and, and, and or to get on the property quicker, fully operational. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. That when we move, when we hit the ground out there, we're hitting on all eight cylinders. And when we get out there, we're going to be a terrible force against evil. We're going to be God's place for God's people to do God's work. He armed the people. He assured the people. He aroused the people. Here is the report of the results. There are several steps... Taken by the enemy. If you go back and read this, even before chapter 4, you remember the enemy's been out here blowing off for some time. We're going to come down there and squash you. We're going to come down there and get you. But notice what happens here in in, uh, verse 15. I told you when we came through here to just think a little bit about this. Verse 15 says, And it came to pass when our enemies heard, heard what? Heard that it was known unto us What was known unto us? That they were popping off, we're going to come down there and kill you. We're going to stop the work. It came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known to us and God brought their counsel to naught. Now, let me just pause here. I want you to hear. hear, (laughs) Oh, please pay attention. This is very important. The enemy says, we're going to come get you. What is this thing you do? Are you going to rebel against the king? You can't rebuild a wall while a fox can get up on there and knock it down. You people don't know what you're doing. And even if you do know what you're doing, we're going to come down there and send an army, and we're going to wipe you people out. The Jews heard it. So Nehemiah does all the stuff we've been talking about. He gets his people together. He arms the people. He says, You stand over here with the sword looking out over there. You stand here with the spear looking down here. You people over here do the work, but also have your hand on you. Whatever. You're ready. The enemy hears about it. The enemy hears. How did the enemy hear? Well, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Look over at chapter 13. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit later message. Good Lord willing. Verse 28 of chapter 13. And one of the sons of Jodah, the son of Elishabab, the high priest, was the son in law to Sanballat the Hornite. Sanballat had a spy in the midst of the Jews. I believe this guy was passing information back to Sandballet, And he goes to Sanballat and said, boss, you got big plans. Well, let me tell you what, they're waiting for you. Nehemiah told the people, get your sword sharp. If they come, we're ready for them. Sanballat went, oh, yeah. I won't tell you what he said, but it wasn't nice. He made all his plans. He's Sandballet, the hornite. He has an army behind him. And a bunch of Jews with sticks and swords shut him down. And he found out about it because he had a spy in the midst who was passing information back and forth. I believe Nehemiah knew it because you get to chapter 13, he runs him out of town, and we'll talk about that later. He runs him out of town but he didn't do it until the end. Why? He used him. See, when you have a spy and you know he's a spy, you have a direct back channel to the enemy. So I believe Nehemiah knew. I mean, he's married to the daughter of Sanballat. He knows that. He's sitting in the meetings. He knows that. He hears the strategy. He's going to take it back. He knows that. And God used it. Last part of verse 15. And when it all came to naught, what did the people do? We returned all of us to the wall, Every one unto his work. You see, a wise leader is one who's wise to the streets, and he knows what's going on around him. And when the enemy has a plan, he'll take that plan and turn it right on him. You know, the Bible says the devil cuts off the devil's axe with his uh, with the devil's head with his own axe, and that's exactly what's taking place here. I believe, and I believe this. You talk about an encouragement to the inner circle. Especially when we get to the end and he runs him out of town. Don't you know the leader said, man, is Nehemiah the man or what? Now, I don't know how you say that in Hebrew, but he is the man. It encouraged the people. The people were encouraged to know their leader was a leader. He aroused the people. He used whatever was going on. He didn't bury his head in the sand, and he used it to bring glory and honor to God. But not only did he arouse the people, he assembled the people, verses 16 through 22. Nehemiah did did not want the people to work or fight alone. One of the reasons you see here, he gets the people together in groups, different groups. He says the same thing, but he says it differently. As a leader, you have to say the same thing to everybody, but you say it differently to the different echelons of your, of your leadership group. Last week, we had a meeting of some of our leaders, and we explained some things, and they're going to be setting the pace in the front. We explained some things to them that we'll be explaining to you. Information will be coming to you. Same information, but we said it different because they're at a different place of service. You're going to be at this place of service. You'll be at this place of service. And so you find out Nehemiah gets the groups together so that he can explain to them what's taking place and encourage each one based on where they are and what they're doing. And, and the common goal here is to get them all together pulling in the traces. And, and, Nehemiah knew their strength in numbers. How many of you folks are saved? Just hold your hand up. If you love Jesus, shake it at the devil. Why are you here? I mean, you're saved. You're going to go to heaven. Why are you here? Well, supposed to be here. (laughs) Really? Why are you here? You'll say something like this, Brother Owens, there's something about being at church that just encourages me. I see my friends. I, I, I hear of situations that I need to pray for, and there have been situations in my life they've prayed for me, but there's just something about being together. Just, there, there, there's something about the camaraderie of the cross. There's something about us assemble together and there's strength, there's unity. There should be unity when we're all under the cross marching to the same orders. You know, this is why I have a problem with some of our younger folks who talk about they're a part of the great invisible church. What? Brother Owens, where do you go to church? I don't go to church. I'm a part of the great invisible church. Well, friend, you won't find that in the New Testament. The Bible says that Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? If you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go to heaven. But there's something about us being together that encourages us. We find strength. I look around and see, I'm not in this by myself. You're in it, and you're in it, and you're in it. And when we get ready to to tackle a project this size, you're you're in it, and you're in it, and you're in it, and you're in it. Praise the Lord. That encourages me. I'd be scared to death if I thought it was my idea and I'm the one going to do it because I'm retired on a fixed income, thank you. No, Nehemiah knew that when he assembled the people and they got together, it bolstered their faith. It strengthened their strength. It encouraged their discouragement. And that's exactly what we're doing. That's why in the coming weeks, we're going to have a little get-together We're going to have a kind of a banquet where we can celebrate and talk about what God's doing. That's why in the coming weeks we're going to be announcing what we're going to do together. And we're going to celebrate. In fact, the last part of Nehemiah is all about revival. The last part of Nehemiah is not about the wall. It's about what God did after the wall. And we're going to be talking about that. But not just talking about it, we're going to be experiencing it. Because God's going to bring a renewal. When you have this many folks praying about their part in what God's doing, I guarantee the end result is a spiritual renewal, a spiritual awakening. And we're going to see it take place. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says we are laborers together with God. And the Greek there literally means we are co-laborers together with God. That includes all of us. We're co-laborers together with God. God didn't have to do it this way. God didn't have to have a church. God could have just individually snuck up on everybody and gone, Boo! I'm God. What are you going to do about it? He's God, he can do anything he jolly well pleases. No, he let us be a part of the glorious task of telling what's happened to us to a world that desperately needs to know what true love's all about, that desperately needs to know what sacrificial love is all about. You and I have the privilege of doing that. Praise his name. Praise his name that he wanted to use us. And listen, look around. If Volusia County is going to be run one to faith in Christ, guess who's going to do it? Us. To whom much is given, much is required. What an awesome responsibility. What a glorious privilege. He armed the people. He assured the people. He aroused the people. He assembled the people. And last but not least, he admonished the people. The word admonish means to warn strongly. He tells them here in these last verses, he says, don't leave town. Stay here. Don't leave town. We need you to work, and we need you to watch. We need you to work, and we need you to watch. We need all of us together doing the work of God. That last verse is extremely hard to translate. It kind of gives the impression that they didn't change clothes very often. That it, it, in fact, I can't tell you all it does mean. The commentaries, the Greek scholars are not even together on what it says. But I think what it says is this they didn't waste time. They didn't waste time doing even some of the necessary things that we think might be necessary. Oh, they probably washed their clothes, and if you were around them rebuilding a wall every day for 52 days, you'd be grateful that they washed their clothes. But it's, I think what it's saying is they made it a priority, the project. The project was a priority. The project was a priority. Ladies and gentlemen, what am I telling you? The project is priority. We're focused on it. It's going to happen. And when we are, we're going to discourage the devil and encourage the Lord who has led us in it. Isn't it nice to know we're going to do something that shakes Sloughfoot up? Well, when you do, be ready. Be ready. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, discouragement is everywhere. I believe it's the chief tool the devil uses to shift everything into neutral. In fact, it appears to me, Lord, that when the pressure came from without, the church got stronger. It's when the church is discouraged from within that we tend to back off. So I pray today we will be encouraged by your spirit. Help us to know you're the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you're the God who's led us to do what we're doing. And you're the God who's going to lead us through getting it done. And then you're the God who's going to use it to be sure the gospel is shared everywhere. And there's no place left where the gospel is not heard. Not just in Daytona Beach. Not just in Volusia County. Not just in Florida not just in the United States, but because we are a cooperating Southern Baptist Church, the strength that will happen here will be magnified and used around the world because we decide we want to do as much on the other side of the globe as we do here. And we do that because of who we are as Southern Baptists. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the privilege that you've given us. This morning, if there's one here who's never trusted Christ. We always want to give an opportunity for somebody to say yes to Christ. If in their heart they feel a prompting of your spirit, they realize they're a sinner and somehow Jesus Christ on that cross paid for my sin. I don't even fully understand that, but I believe it. He paid for my sin. And now all I have to do is receive it by faith. Accept it. Bring it into my being. And because of what that has taken place because of who you are in me I ought to be different I can be different and by your spirit I am different and I want to thank you by living my life as a trophy of your grace it all starts with a decision what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ Lord maybe the others here today who need to come and rededicate their life not even talk with any of the ministers just come and kneel and talk with you This altar is always open for people who just need to come and bend a knee and say yes to you. Maybe there are others that need to come and join this church by letter or statement or any other way she would receive members. Today we open our arms to those folks. And I say to you, if you're saved, why don't you come and help us? And if you're not saved, why don't you come and let us help you? It all works together. That's why we're here during the invitation time may your spirit lead us and direct us because of Christ for we ask it in his name amen we're standing